0: Thanks for joining us today on the Port City Church Podcast. With multiple campuses existing within Southeastern North Carolina, our mission is to be helpful and hopeful as we reach people and help them walk with God. To learn more about the heart behind our church, we encourage you to visit us at portcity.church. Good morning. We uh, probably all have uh, relationships or know people have relationships or have described relationships that we have. Uh, as when someone asks about your relationship, you'll say it's complicated, because perhaps it is. I believe there's actually on some social media uh, sites that when you go to choose your relationship status, that's actually one of the options. You can just say it's complicated. And so today we're gonna be addressing one of the most complex and pervasive relationships that we all have. Uh, This relationship causes significant stress uh, in our lives. It affects so much of the lives that we live, it impacts every one of us, and oftentimes because of that, it impacts everyone around us. This relationship is demanding, even when it's avoided or ignored. It can tempt us to do things that we would never in a million years think or consider doing. And because it reaches into every part of our lives, there's an abundance of advisors and planners. In fact, there's a whole industry to help us manage this relationship, and yet it's so personal. It's almost taboo to talk about. Any guesses as to what this relationship is? It's our money. It's a relationship with money. So I'm going to talk about money for the next few weeks. You can go ahead and plan your Sundays to go to the beach, right? Um, but here's what I want to do. I, I, I've been thinking about this for a long time. We don't, and if you've been around Port City a long time, we don't, we don't badger people for money. We're, and in fact, I'm not going to ask you for money. I'm going to talk about giving, but only because it's a part of something else that that we all need to consider. But what I want for you to do today is I want for us to back up and to consider how do you see money? Because we've just inherited a whole way of thinking about money, of pursuing money, of doing what it takes to get money. Um, The conversations we have, and I've had a lot of them, um, that we don't really, I don't know that we see this um, in a way that actually is consistent with what God longs for, his church, his church. Um, Also, if you're here and you struggle in the area of finances, we are going to be providing some really tangible ways to help you uh, in the coming uh, months. There is no quick fixes to that. We'll talk about that later on. But today, I just want you to, to stay with me and kind of think about this Uh, a little bit differently, and to acknowledge one thing for sure, that when it comes to money, our relationship with it, it is very, very complicated. We try to simplify it. And there are some simple financial principles. I understand that. Spend less than you make, you know, avoid debt, you know, save. All those things are super simple. But that is not the reality for most people who live in our sort of sphere of influence, at least not as a church. Whether it's because of bad choices they've made or Difficult circumstances they've inherited. Our concern over finances and the implications of that, right, have led us to a condition most people are strapped with consumer debt. There's a generation who's growing up with an avalanche of student debt that is going to be debilitating to a financial picture and how people are trying to process this and live with this. You have continuing economic news, just doomsday economic news, inflation. Right, that just continues to creep. Have y'all been to the grocery store? Everything's expensive. And we all know this and we all feel this. And what it does is it just forces us back to sort of hold and protect. It drives fear and anxiety about this and more and more stress. And then what we usually end up doing is just like, you know what, I'm just gonna go back to doing what I've always done. We just hold onto it and try to do the best that we can. And then we oftentimes try to figure out how we're gonna pursue more, get more, so that we'll have all the things that go along with this and what Jesus' concern about when it comes to money is it's mastery over us. It's the fact that somehow we believe or think that if we just had this, we wouldn't have to trust anything else or him ever again. This is what our lottery list basically is, right? Everybody has a lottery list. If you win the lottery, what would you do? They don't have this? I have one. People think like, Mike, you pay off the church. I'm like, you think I might be in St. John, right? I might be gone. I'm just, I'm just kidding, I wouldn't but it does all sorts of things to us because we think if oh, if I had this, then I wouldn't have to depend on this job or this thing or this way, ultimately on God's provision. It's at least that's been my struggle. Matthew 6, 24, this is what Jesus said. And we're gonna talk a lot about what he said over the next few weeks. He said, no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other. You'll be devoted to one and despise the other you cannot serve both god and money. This is a loaded statement. Right? It's 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 more complex than just we're supposed to be we're supposed to push money aside cuz that's what it feels like that's not what it's talking about. This is what I want us to explore because we have this idea this sense about what happens with our money. Jesus had a ton to say about money. The Old Testament, the whole way the old covenant is laid out for us uh, provides laws and practices that provide a foundation for a much different economy, economic system than was the norm. The letters in the New Testament provide us both warning and counsel. And perhaps other than the topic of God, money is the next most prominent topic talked about in the Bible. Did you know that? It's, it's insane to think about. So I want us to consider, to consider something, how do we relate to our money within the context of our relationship with God? How do you think about money? And how do you think about money in the context of your relationship with Jesus and God's promised redemption, what he intends to do in this world in a way that shapes our view of money and our relationship with it? And I think what's happened is a lot of people and churches do just as as much to this as we try to break it down into three simple steps. Right. If you do this, you do this, you do this, then everything will work out the way it wants. And in my own experience, um, personally, my experience, there have been times when I have given away everything that I've had and I did not get a hundredfold return. I actually bounced the check because of it. Right. There, There are things that have happened in my life trying to experiment and learn how to live in the tension of the complexity of living in an economic system that we do today. And so my own experience, my, my, my conversation, my reading of the scriptures, my conversations with people who have a lot, who have abundance of resources, my conversations with people who live paycheck to paycheck or worse, all this has just led me to recognize that things are very, 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 when it comes to money, are very complicated. It's very complicated. And for a lot of reasons. You have a global economy. This is not new, but it's certainly a part of it, right? We have Amazon, we can click and get stuff from anywhere in the world and more and more people are aware of this than probably just because of the the access to information we have. There's like sort of a global nature to what's happening and trying to govern this is very, very difficult. You also have an attention-based economy. This is a newer phenomenon. That basically the market, information and data, it becomes the new thing. And what's happening is they're taking your attention and selling it. This is We taught this before. This is what social feeds and all that does. It's, it's, it's an attention-based economy now, not so much commodity-based or even advertising-based. It's, it's attention. We're selling one another's attention. The number one pursued vocation of the next generation is to be a social media influencer. You know why? Because it sounds so cool. But what you're doing, what it is, is you, you, it, it's because of this economy. It's basically what I can do is I can, I can, and, and you don't do it so you get followers. You do it so you get money. And this becomes a pursuit based on this economy. The other thing that's really interesting to me is it's become virtual. It's become virtual. Money is an idea. We were growing up. I grew up in the 80s. I've told you this before. It's, it's, I know you're jealous of that. Everybody can't do it, but I get it. <clears throat> But I remember this as, this this is one of the things, this is one of the big things we've gotta consider in how we see money. So here's what would happen to you. you. You can't like really overstate how much we take for granted today. Imagine there's no cell phone, there's no debit card or credit card. The only thing that you have is cash and change. Do y'all even carry change? Who has change in their pocket? we change for change. We have to go digital. You know why? Because nobody has change. When you pay $3.30 for a cup of coffee and you give them $4, which you rarely do, but if you do give them $4 and they give you back 70-something cents, what do you do with that change? You just dump it in the tip jar because it's not worth carrying around in your pockets. All right, we, we've got a relationship with them. So but this is so the thing about this: this you had change, you had coins. And you get in your car on a Thursday night and you're on empty and you look in your wallet and there's no dollar bills. And you gotta get home and you don't have any way to call anybody and you pull in the gas station. This is what you do. You open the door and you were like underneath the seats. How, do you remember this? And you were, you were like just, you were, Lord, please, Jesus, rain down something so I, and you're like, 79 cents, man. I can get a gallon of gas and I can get to my girlfriend's house, right? You, you are willing to offer, Lord, here's a quart. Like, I mean, you're gonna offer, Just you just did this. And it's this, this tactile system. And now what happens? You don't even touch things. Beep. Or Venmo or whatever it is. It's just, it's all an idea, Your zeros go up on your bank account and they go down on your Venmo account, whatever you have. And there's nothing tactile. We're gonna talk more about this in a later series, but it's just really interesting how different. And this is is a generational thing. This is a generational thing. What also you have is you have a massive divide between the rich and the poor. And that gap is growing. 50% of the world's wealth is held by 1% of its population. The majority of people in the world live in poverty. And this isn't, there's a, oh, I feel bad. This isn't about guilt. We, 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 we got to stop all that stuff. Or else you can't have a real conversation about it. This isn't about feeling guilty. This isn't, this is about how do we see money and what it is. And what happens is this growing sense, and there's actually a movement, right? You hear this vil- villainization of the rich all the time. the Elon Musk and the Mark Zuckerbergs and all these guys, you know, Jeff Bezos, you have all these, this sort of demonization, you know, we like, we don't like the rich, but we all want to be rich because we would, of course, do better if we were rich, right? That's, that's the idea. And with that, that sort of led us to a sense of entitlement. You have people, particularly the next generation who grow up, who have gotten students' debts and credit card debts, and they act like they are victims of this. Because they made choices. They made choices and they knew what they were getting into. But did you also do have predatory lending? There are markets that actively target people who they know cannot pay back loans to lock them in and to continue to turn over cycles. All this is happening. This is all true. It is very, very complicated. How are we feeling about coming to church this morning? When it comes to our money, we have all kinds of emotions, right? Our emotions are all over the place. Sometimes we feel defensive. Sometimes we feel protective. Sometimes we feel like deeply secure. Sometimes there's a sense of pride. Sometimes there's a sense of superiority. Or we feel shame. Or we feel guilt, right? We don't give enough. We don't save enough. We don't have enough. For those of you, right, who are hand to mouth, you feel like there's never enough money to ever get ahead or to do what you want to do. And for those of you who have money, there's never enough for all the people who are asking you for it. And so what do we do in this? Right? What do we do with this? We just sort of pull back. And, you know, it's interesting because you can sort of think about this. And, and in essence, there's a lot of passages that talk about it. one of the things that you'll find that's the counsel is, Um, You know, here, and we'll read this in just a moment. But you know, um, uh, you gotta, you gotta be a good steward, and all these things are important. And he says, you know, um, if we, if we were learn to be content with what we have, right? If we just have food and shelter and clothing, then we'll be fine. And I think in theory that's a good idea. Like, right? If you think about it, if you go, "Oh, that's not complicated." Here's why we would say that because, and this is how I want you to think about this: all we want really is enough, is to earn enough, uh, earn enough money to easily provide food, shelter and other necessities. Would that be a fair statement? If you could just easily earn enough for food, clothing, and other necessities. You know what this breaks down, right? It breaks down in what's easy. It breaks down in what's enough. It breaks down what kind of food do you want to eat? Do you want rice and beans or do you want like a nice restaurant? It breaks down when you try to think about other necessities. Do you need a, three cars or do you just need one car? Do you need electric? Like like how do we break this down? So we have to have all kinds of ways to scale and measure this. And most of the time, it's usually the sense we're just gonna put our head in the sand and just pretend that we're back and we'll go, oh, I just got this and I bought this house and I did this and I did that and I did this. And now here's my financial situation and I'm gonna have to just deal with this. And I think there's a different way for us to to consider this. The New Testament actually does not condemn the rich. There is no class warfare in the Bible. So, you can take that bullet out of your gun. There are accommodations for abundance throughout the scriptures. There are warnings, however, like this Luke chapter 18. How hard is it for the rich to enter into the kingdom of heaven? Indeed, it is easier for the camel to go through an eye of the needle than for someone who is rich enter into the kingdom of God. Y'all have heard that before? And here's what we start doing. How rich is rich? And is he really talking about a needle? I've heard like, that was a big gate in Israel. You know, I've heard all this. We're trying to make this thing bigger so it's easier for us to be rich and get this, right? It's a win-win. Don't you feel that? Because if it's harder for the rich person to get, well, I don't want to be rich in that way. I want to be rich enough to do this, but not rich enough for that. We all have this idea. It's interesting that there are two other kind of accommodations. There's two categories of people. This is in 1 Timothy. One is for those who are rich. And the other is for those who want to be rich. (laughs) Does that leave anybody out? Yeah, okay, yeah, right. That was funny. I mean, let's face it. All right, maybe not. 1 Timothy 6, verse 17. Command those who are rich. In this present world, not to be arrogant nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain. But rather to put their hope in God, who richly provides everything for what? What? For our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds and to be generous and willing to share. And in this way, we will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so they may take hold of the life that is actually truly life. And what you need to do is if you're kind of in that category, you just need to wrestle with that. And if you're in this category, you need to wrestle with this, First Timothy, just a few verses prior. Those who want to get rich, Fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. Have you ever seen that happen? For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil and some people eager for money have wandered away from the faith and have pierced themselves with many griefs. I only have three weeks. Um, And so here's what I want for us to do. We're gonna look at some of these things that Jesus said we're gonna look at some of the systemic things and what they reveal about us. And mostly I'm gonna give you two new ways to think about money. Because we usually think about it in terms of freedom and generosity, which we all wanna be generous. I mean, I've never met anybody says, I don't wanna be generous, I wanna be stingy. Like everybody wants to be generous. But we often think that when we get here, then we'll be there. And I want to introduce us to a new way of thinking about this. This is going to bring you back to middle school math nightmares. So I'm, going to, I'm going to use the word. Is it ENT? Congruent. Congruent, that's the word. C-O-N-G-R-U-E-N-T. That leads to an idea that I don't think we have explored nearly enough, and that is generative. So that's, that's what I want to try to do in the remaining time I have left. This is a passage from Matthew chapter 26. If you have your Bibles, you can turn there. It'll be on the screens. This passage is passages told. Uh, there's something similar in all three, in three of the Gospels. Uh, it's unique, uh, or at least very similar in two of them. I'm going to be reading from Matthew. Chapters, so I know all the background. I don't have time to do that today. I just wanted us to read this and notice what Jesus says. Matthew 26, verse 6 through 13. While Jesus was in Bethany in the home of Simon the leper, a woman came to him with an alabaster jar of very expensive perfume. Um, scholars would probably estimate this in today's dollars somewhere between $25,000 and $50,000. So this is not cheap perfume. So she comes to Jesus with an alabaster jar of very expensive perfume which she poured out on his head as he was reclining at the table. Now, what you'll notice is no one is bothered by, if I was at the table and you poured something on my head, we'd be talking about that, right? So this was an, this was an act uh, that was something, that wasn't, it wasn't common, but it wasn't uncommon. So it, was an, it was an anointing, uh, it was customary. There are a lot of things that go into this that It's not as weird as it sounds to us. This was a thing that would happen. So she comes in and she breaks this, this perfume and she anoints his head with this $50,000, $25,000 bottle of perfume. She's like, think like that's what it would be like. I'm just kidding. That's not what it's like. Verse 8, when the disciples saw this, they were, what? They were indignant. Why this waste? They asked. This perfume could have been sold at a high price and the money given to the poor. Now, you would think Jesus would say, amen to that. you I mean, Right? Didn't that what we think? Aware of this, Jesus said to them, why are you bothering this woman? She's done what? She's done a beautiful thing. She took a $25,000 bottle of perfume and she wasted it on Jesus' head. That money could have done so many other things. She's done a beautiful thing as Jesus. The word is, is cologne. It's, it's a Greek word and, it, and it's, it's more than just beautiful. What we know, I'm gonna explain this, but what we know for sure is that From the the amount of money that this jar was worth did not concern Jesus. He 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 wasn't concerned about that. The scale that we are most likely to use to determine how God wants us to use our money is completely undermined. Isn't that how most of us think about this? You come into a church, they bought those lights, they could have done this. They built this building, they could have done that. You know, you you bought this car, you could have done that. You bought this house, you could have done that. You ate this meal, you could have done that. Isn't that how most all of us like try to justify or rationalize? No, just, do we not think about it this way? And Jesus just turns it on its head. So what is he saying? What is he modeling? What's happening here? The value in the beauty isn't undermined because that money could have been used for something else. Right? The goal isn't to minimize every dollar that you might use for pleasure or for joy or for risk so that you can maximize every dollar that goes to alleviate suffering or poverty. Did you, did you hear that? Like This has got to free us from something. So you're not always wrestling with purchasing something that's just I like this or feeling bad that you enjoyed something. And I'm not, I'm not trying to, ju- I, mean, I want to just sort of push, it. it's, it's complicated, it's complicated. It's com- are you getting this? It's complicated. But this is really important for us to consider because the thing that God is doing in us with regard to money has to do with mastery and dependence and trust. And we are called to prioritizing something more than our own financial freedom and something more than our own financial peace with regard to our personal finances. There's something else going on. And this is what we have to figure out. Eugene Peterson said this. He said, the Christian life is a lifelong practice of attending to the details of congruence. Now, most of you are like in eighth grade math trying to figure out what congruence means. Congruence simply means an agreement. An agreement. The word Cologne, the word beautiful used there isn't just, it's, it's translated beautiful and good as in deeply good. It isn't just an assessment that something is aesthetically good or aesthetically right, but it's actually an integration. It means this act came together in a way that makes it beautiful. It's congruent. What she did and what was happening came together and said, this is a beautiful thing. So what I want when we start thinking about our money, whether we have a lot, whether we have a little, whether we struggle, whether we don't, is for this idea of congruence that somehow our use of it comes together in a way. And a lot of us think that when we have financial freedom, then we'll be able to be generous. And in God's economy, financial freedom is experienced in a moment as he asks you for something. This is a very different way for us to think. This is the lesson of manna, which we'll talk about um, next week. But financial congruence is about how does your money fit into what you believe and trust and are dependent on with God? How does it fit? And I don't mean like a jigsaw puzzle. I don't mean is your budget balance. I mean, how does our money integrate into and flow out of a life with God together in community for the world? That's the question you need to be asking. I need to be asking. We need to be asking. The goal of financial freedom isn't a destination that you achieve if you just follow the right principles, but it's a way of life where you learn how to trust God with everything in any given moment. That's what we're trying to get to. That's congruence. If I would define congruence, if we had to do it, is like this. That congruence, financial congruence, allows us the freedom to steward. I think we'll put this on the screen. The freedom to steward our money, to contribute to, And to create the kind of things that honor God, reflect his image, and demonstrate his love. So here's what I want you to consider. Leave that up there for just a moment. What you and I have to learn to do is to discern what kind of things honor God. Is it an alabaster jar offered in worship? Is it creating something? right? That creates jobs or benefits people, right? Is it producing? What is it? We have to, so there, I'm talking about this very much so that we enter into this place and that we honor what God has entrusted us, his call, our vocation, what we contribute and produce and offer to the world. But it's not so you can build your personal financial kingdom and there and be generous out of that, There's a different way for his church and his people. What I wanna say in just a moment, you're going to try to take this and you're gonna try to overlay it on the world system and try to figure out how this is gonna work in our current economic setup. And I'm telling you, it won't. What I'm about to tell you will not work in the current economic system that we have to participate in. So I'm not abdicating, you know, getting out of the system and living off the grid. Not, I, we have to participate in this, but we need to learn how to participate in this as followers of Jesus who give our allegiance to another king. That's the challenge. That's the challenge. And I'm, and I'm telling you, it's complicated. So maybe instead of like not coming back next week, you'll be more interested in coming back next week to try to figure out the great thing about a sermon series called It's Complicated. If this doesn't make sense to anybody, guess what I can just say? It's complicated. All off the hook. God's intention in his world, in your life, in our life, in our community is shalom. It's not human survival. It's human flourishing. It's flourishing. This is why poverty and these kind of, they're not economic problems. They're dignity problems. There, what are we willing to do to bring flourishing, not survival taxes, but flourishing into the places where we live and exist and where we care about. And we create systems, especially in the church, that give us this idea that we're gonna have financial freedom or financial peace to keep us from financial worry, and that is not the point. We need financial congruence to push us to be generative. And what do I mean by that? Generative means there's a different way of seeing the world than just. Sort of getting by. I mean, if you—I don't have time. But if, the, the whole narrative of creation. Think about when you say, "What kind of things does God do?" He creates sunsets and sunrises. He suspends planets and stars. He operates in light years and galaxies. And we're like trying to go. How does this? Finance? Like, there's a there's a way for us to see and to behold and to wonder and to participate with God. And what he intends to do, and, and I, I don't want to. I'm, I'm, this is not about like God's going to make you rich. This is about God has called us to be generative. That our lives actually act on the world in community for certain things to happen. Um, Mikado Fujimara, who's an artist, he's written some beautiful books. Um, he said this, and I love this quote because this is what gets me thinking: generative thinking is fueled by generosity, right? Generosity comes first. It's fueled by generosity because so often, it so often must work against a mindset that has survival and utility in the foreground. In a culture dominated by this mindset, generosity has an unexpectedness that can set the context for the renewal of our hearts. You ever encountered some generosity that you didn't deserve, just like someone did something for you and you, and you go, you, you try to pay them back or you want to pay them back, but you realize you can't pay them back. And they're not making you like live as an indentured servant to them. They just, it's just a generous act. Like somehow that, that what God has done for me just feels like that. There's nothing I can do. It's just, this just happened. It's this thing. And when we encounter generosity, there's an unexpectedness, unexpectedness to us that transforms us, that shapes us. This is God's heart for us, his generous love for you. Behold what love the Father has lavished upon us. We should be called children. It it changes us. We get to do this for one another in our generosity that, that, that produces a generative effect. He continues on an encounter with generosity can remind us that life always overflows our attempts to reduce it to a commodity and a transaction. You do not go to work to get a paycheck. right? how many of us think this? It's just transactional. This is, what we, this is what everything in our economy, it reduces it to a transaction or a commodity. And our lives are so much more than This is what God is inviting us into. This is the alabaster jar. What this woman has done is a beautiful thing because these things came together the way they were intended to be. Imagine if your life and my life, if we came together in God's spirit and this thing came together in a way that we said, This is what it's supposed to be. It's good. It's beautiful. This is what I'm talking about when I talk about congruence this, this idea. It's not reduced to a commodity or trans, uh, transaction because life is a gift. Life and beauty are always gratuitous in the best sense of the word, right? We live in a world that is just filled with gratuitous violence, gratuitous sex, what if we were a people that just brought gratuitous beauty and hope to everything around us? Like that's, that's what we're supposed to do. So what is money? What is it? Um, you can add your definition, this is mine, but money at its essence is an agreement. It's a trusted exchange um, based on an agreed upon value, right? That's what it is. You you give them something and they give you something in return. It is a transactional based thing. And depending on where you are in the financial spectrum, money either works, you know, you either work for money or money works for you. And we've all learned the systems and the way to do that. But the problem is twofold. We don't actually trust the exchange, which is why there are so many loopholes to keep anybody from being burned ever. And these always benefit the more powerful position always. There are systemic problems when we think about our economic system. We'll talk more about that next week. But there's a trust exchange that we don't actually trust. And there's agreed upon value where value isn't actually shared. We don't actually believe that the thing that we're getting in return is actually the thing that we value, especially as followers of Christ. The current culture of our money and our currency is inherently competitive because the, the, the shared value or the greed upon value is to maximize it. So every dollar has to maximize every dollar in return. There are companies that do things that their companies should never do because they're trying to make sure their stockholders earn the money that they have invested back. Even though it runs contrary to the mission, we've all seen this happen, right? They lay off people, they do this, they, they lose the things that made the company great because they're trying to make sure that they're maximizing the profits. We live in a culture where we maximize, you use interest and you charge interest. Do you realize that the scriptures tell, I can't even get into that. There's some really tough things uh, in here. Um, Maximize interest and equity, and equity. And these three things, is there anything wrong with profits? No, there's not. Is there anything wrong with interest? No, there's not. There is something wrong with charging 18, 20% interest to people you know can't afford it. There is something wrong with that. But is interest in itself wrong? No. Is equity wrong in itself? No. But equity and what we're trying to do in our real estate market will not help affordable housing in our area. It just won't. There's got to be another way to do this. And what I'm telling you, I know everybody here whose money you're going, how do we do this? It's not going to work in our system. It's not going to do it. These aren't necessarily wrong, but I think as God's people, we have to find a way to live. And to move beyond generosity to become generative to bring about a hope and a tangible flourishing into our communities and all the places that God has entrusted us with his influence and his call and his heart. And what I can tell you is you're not gonna walk out over lunch and figure this out. What I am saying is this is gonna require for us to be a generative people, it's gonna require some creative thinking. Some of those creative thinking that we can, we can put our heads together and our hearts together and let God say, God, would you do something in us? Would you help us to see something different? Would you help us to see our money differently? And it's going to require substantial risks. There are, there are projects that we're working on. You're going to invest money and money and money, and you're not going to get money in return. What you're going to get is human flourishing. And we've got to decide, are we willing to make that kind of exchange? with what it is that we offer and give. We have the power to create new agreements. We do, we have the power to create new things we're gonna trust in. And I think to participate in ways that are subversive and effective in bringing God's promised redemption to the world. That's what I believe. The goal isn't just that we're generous, but that our generosity becomes generative. The goal, it isn't just to get your finances in order, but rather Uh, get your finances in order because you need to have your finances in order, but rather we want to be contributing to a reordered community and a reordered economy. You're gonna find so much of the scriptures is about this economic sense. So here's how I wanna close. It's gonna take a radical reorientation of how you view your money, whether you've got a lot or whether you've got a little. I'm asking us all to do this. We're gonna have to do this together. Number one is how Do you see your, sorry, how do you see money? Is it yours? Or is it entrusted to you? How do we see it? Is it our possession or what we've been entrusted with? Does it awaken a drive in you? I'll go get more. Like, does it just do something in you? Or is there a resentment to you because it's just not been for you or in the way in which you thought it would be, does it create a sense of stress or a sense of security? How do you see money? I can't answer that question for you. But here's what we have to do we have to learn. This isn't like, oh, Mike's going to tell us three things we're going to do. This, I'm going to ask you to learn some things. In the scriptures, you have provision for abundance. Here's how you operate when you have far more than you need. And you also have manna. And I'll tell you, as a church, to be honest, we have lived on manna for 24 years. And I can tell you also, I have asked God, I'm tired of living on manna, we want abundance. We would like some abundance. You ever feel like that? Just me? And we've always had exactly what we needed. I'm gonna tell you some stories next week about that. But this is where most people end their journey. And what I'm asking is for this to be where we begin our journey. And here's the two things we need to learn. Number one is we need to learn how to discern God's provision. You and I need to learn how to discern God's provision. God, what has come my way? Here's my salary. Here's what I earn every month. Right Here's what I have inherited. Here's what I have. What is it? What is it? God provided manna out of the sky they had to learn. He gave them some other things and made other opportunities available for them that they should have said no to because it was not God's provision for them. There are opportunities and things in my life that I've had opportunities to do things that would have meant better financial circumstances for me that I knew was not God's provision for me. It was me taking matters into my own hands specifically so I did not have to trust God for them. That is a very hard lesson to learn. But what you learn, because everything that, every opportunity that comes your way is not God's provision. But just because you can, doesn't mean that you should. And you have to have a measure, a way to know how to scale that. So it's what comes your way and what do you have license to pursue? Is it another career? Is it a better job? Is it, there, there are, all those things are valid, but you have to learn how to discern these things. And secondly, you have to learn how to trust what God has entrusted you with. Is sufficient for everything that he wants you to do. For everything that he wants you to do. In some ways, my personal financial situation is way better than I anticipated, and in some ways, it is way worse than I ever anticipated. What I have learned and am learning is that if we learn how to discern, right, what God What is he entrusting to us? What is his provision for us? What do we do and offer this? Right, his heart is flourishing. His heart is for us to contribute our lives to human flourishing, not to build a worry-proof kingdom that can survive a hard economy. This, This is the way of Jesus, It's congruence that leads to generative. The goal of financial, you know, of learning to discern and learning how to trust and the, the goal of financial teaching and financial principles is often financial freedom. So you have enough to do what you want to do. But what we're saying here is it is the starting point of financial congruence for us, for this all to come together in a way that is beautiful. It is beautiful. That's what I want for us to pray and to explore over the next few weeks together. It's complicated, right? All right, can we do this? Father, you and your scriptures have said so much about money. So much. And in our own relationships, we probably talk about money less than anything else. And it is probably hurt us that we don't share both our struggles We don't share the responsibility of stewarding uh, when we have ample resources. As we just end up sort of feeling our way through, I ask that as a body, as your body, would you open our eyes to see something beyond what we have always thought? That's what I'm asking. Would you give us vision for a way of life with our money It comes together with what we offer and what you intend in some spectacularly beautiful way where we find ourselves perfectly provided for and we find human flourishing to become the norm in the places where we get to participate. So God, give us vision. Open our eyes. Help us to see. And I ask all of this in the name of your son Jesus, who is our king. Amen.